Grab a seat, and we'll go ahead and get started. Once again, my name is Matt. It's great to gather with you all um, this evening. Uh, and as most of you know, this is a really important Sunday uh, for River's Edge because this is the very first Sunday of the 2016 NFL season. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is, um, it is that. But, but even more importantly for our purposes, this is our first official Sunday uh, as a church. And so we're pretty excited about today and the coming weeks and what we feel that God has in store for us as we move forward. And so today is really the result of years of listening and praying and, and moving forward uh, with this idea uh, of planting a, a new church here in Spokane. Uh, and as, as Matt mentioned earlier, we met informally through the summer and kind of laid a basic um, social and theological foundation, uh, but it was all in preparation for today. Uh, and so as today is our first official Sunday, we thought it would be fitting to start with a vision series. And in the, in the regular rhythms of our church, uh, what we plan to do is to work our way exegetically, line by line, verse by verse, through books of the Bible uh, but before we start, we thought it would be really fitting to just share vision and share who we are and where we feel that God is calling us as a church and as a community. And so really the goal through the vision series over the next few weeks is going to be uh, to create some common ground and vision and direction for what lies ahead. And really that's going to happen at like the 30,000 foot level. And so Everything that happens over the next couple of weeks it is all going to be I'm kind of unpacking a single phrase. And in all of our dreaming and praying and, and vision casting, we've kind of arrived at one simple phrase that we feel sums up who we are and who God is calling us to be. And it's this. We at River's Edge are a family of missionary disciples who live to see God's will done in Spokane as it is in heaven. And the entire vision series will actually focus in on that identity statement at the beginning, that we are a family of missionary disciples. And so um, rather than kind of speeding through this or giving one big pep talk and then just heading into our next series, we want to slow down and take our time and unpack these identities together. And so what we're going to do is take a week for each of them, a week on family, a week on what it means to be a missionary, and a week on discipleship. And then we're going to take another week to kind of pull them all together and talk about how we live those identities out day by day, week by week as a people. And so this week, we're going to start by unpacking the word family and attempting to answer a very basic question. What does it mean to be the family of God? And so if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to um, open the app or flip to uh, Genesis 1, Genesis 1, verse 26, and we'll go ahead and get started. For most of you, this is page 2 of your Bibles. In the opening lines of the, of the scriptures on page one, the picture we get is of God at work ordering and inaugurating the universe. 
preparing a place for human beings that will be useful for them. And in doing so, he reveals the purpose behind many of the things that have been put in place in the universe. And it turns out, we see in Genesis 1, that weather patterns and fruit-bearing plants and seasons and the sun and the moon um, all uh, actually have a role to play in creating a beautifully balanced world that God has made for humanity to inhabit. And as you read through, the, the central heartbeat behind Genesis is purpose. It, it, it's answering the, the why questions behind our existence and behind the universe. What's the purpose? What's the reason? And so I, I'm actually hoping that at some point in the life of our church, um, we can do a, a full-on series in the book of Genesis But for today, what I want us to pay attention to are the details surrounding the creation and commissioning of humanity. So we'll pick up in verse 26. It says this, Then, in other words, after creating and ordering all that other stuff, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all of the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And it goes on from there. Two things that I want us to notice right here in the opening lines of Scripture First is the curious language that God uses to describe himself. God, who appears singular up to this point and who is clearly one God, says, let us make mankind in our image. Now, there's a fair amount of debate surrounding these verses. And some people say, well, it was probably God and maybe there were angels there. Who were, who were kind of participating in these acts of creation within the world. But the, the most common theory, the consensus among Christian scholars, is that this is actually the first reference to the Trinity. And, and a Trinitarian view of God says that God is one, but also three. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all of them are one, and all of them our God. It, it, it turns out that God is not a, a static or impersonal thing, or, or even to be understood as one person. But in the words of C.S. Lewis, God is a dynamic, pulsating activity. He, he is a drama, a, a dance within self. And, and at this point, I, I kind of start to get a headache because the Trinity is a little bit mind-bending, and it's actually really difficult for me to grasp. But the point that I want to make is a really simple one. The God that we believe in exists in community and has for all time. For all eternity, the members of the Trinity have been loving and submitting and honoring one another perfectly in perfect harmony. And then God made humanity as as a free-willed, 
visible reflection of who he is. And, and as you read through the creation account, God's, God's inaugurating all of this stuff, and he's saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, over and over again, it's good. And then he creates Adam, and he says, it's not good. More specifically, he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. In, in, in other words, this isn't complete yet, that, that something is missing, that Adam has a beautiful home and he has the fullness of God available to him, but he's not supposed to be alone, that he needs companionship and family and community. Human beings, we see in these opening lines, are, are image bearers meant to reflect God into the rest of creation. But to reflect the triune God alone is almost unthinkable. And so he creates Eve. And with the two of them together, he creates the means for further family and community. And the story goes on. And in the beginning, Adam and Eve had incredible intimacy with God. And as a result of this closeness and trust and intimacy, it would not have been difficult for them to fulfill that purpose. There, there was a sense in which Adam and Eve were, were like a son and daughter of God, created by God in his presence, nothing to interrupt that relationship. The reflection of God into the natural world would have been a, a, a very easy one for them, in a sense. But just a few pages into the scriptures, we see that humanity throws off God's protection, throws off his leadership, and, and decides that they would rather be autonomous and self-governing. They didn't trust that God was good or that he had their best interests in mind. And in that moment, their relationships with one another and their relationships with God are, are tragically fractured. From that movement, moment forward, uh, something is terribly off. And, and, and so God, he sets out to do something about it, to restore that relationship with humanity and welcome them back into his family, so to speak, back into his presence and his love. And so he announces right in the opening pages that he's going to do something about this fracturing of relationships that is happening. And if you know the story of the scriptures, you know that eventually he does. Thousands of years later, at just the right time, God steps into creation, into humanity, in the person of Jesus to restore what was lost and set right what is wrong, to welcome humanity back into the family. And then Jesus begins to do and say some very peculiar things. For example, he started calling God Abba, which was a very intimate, familial term that no one was using to describe God. Not in this vein. And, and he told his followers, he said, when you pray, pray like this. Our what? Father in heaven. And, 
and he started to gain followers. But he called these followers brother, sister. There was a redefinition of the family of God, a redefinition about who's in and who's out, about who is close to God and who is far away. And eventually, when his time had come, Jesus went to the cross. And on the cross, he earned forgiveness and salvation for all who would come. The veil between us and God was torn. There is now nothing that can hold us back from coming to Jesus to receive eternal life. And so through repentance and placing our hope and our trust in Jesus, being baptized into his family, we, we receive complete forgiveness. We receive God himself. We receive the Holy Spirit inside of us. What was lost in the garden is being restored. And one of the ways that scripture describes this process is as an adoption ceremony into a family. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the spirit you received when you placed your faith in Jesus does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs. This language is shocking. If it was shocking for Jesus to call God Abba, then it is just as shocking for us to call ourselves co-heirs, brother and sister with Jesus, so that we too look to God as Abba and Father. It turns out that God has done something remarkable he has single-handedly brought about our adoption. Through Jesus, we are adopted back into the family of God. You are a son or a daughter of the living God, holy, blameless in his sight. And that changes everything. Because what we witness in the garden is that our relationship to God and our relationship with one another are inseparably connected. And now, through Jesus, our relationship with God is completely restored. And you can stand before him as a child stands before a loving father. But as you do, you now find yourself curiously standing shoulder to shoulder with a whole bunch of other people who have the same father And, and you didn't get to choose your brothers and sisters, right? God made us into a family. Welcome to church. Jesus is not inviting people into a social club or into a religion or an extracurricular activity. He invites us back into the very relationships that we were supposed to inhabit in the beginning. We were created. 
you have a new identity as a son or a daughter of God. And because of that, you have a new identity in relation to those around you. And, and out of this new identity should flow new attitudes and new action. We should actually look different than any other community on the planet. And as people show up over the coming weeks and the coming months, they should see and sense God at work in this church. In fact, Jesus says, the world will know that you're from me because of the love that you have for one another. And, and as you keep reading through the scriptures, you realize that God gives us a whole bunch of one another commands. This is a small sample of them. You to listen to this. God says, love one another. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. More details on that. Um, agree with one another in what you say. Have equal concern for one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another humbly in love. Be of one mind. Live in peace with one another. Be patient, bearing one another's burdens in love. Submit to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Value others above yourselves. Teach and admonish one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Why? Because that's who God is. And you were built to reflect the image of God into the world in community. And you can't do this alone on your couch. And you can't do this alone in a garden like Adam. It, it's not good. Instead, we recognize that we are a community made in the image of God, empowered by God to grow in Christ's likeness and become fully human all over. But it goes without saying that this is a difficult thing. In fact, this can be really difficult. And, and before we close, I want to talk about one reason I think this is particularly difficult. We live in America. You live in the most hyper-individualistic culture, not just in the world, but in the history of the world. You were raised in a culture of self-determination and self-love and honestly self-centeredness. That is the essence of American consumerism, a world where the individual and individuality is sacred and to be valued above all else where self-actualization is held up as the ultimate accomplishment. And we are constantly told, be true to yourself. And, and maybe all of that sounds very normal to you, 
But we have to recognize that that's not even how most of the rest of the world functions. Interesting that, the, that most of the, the world, the non-Western world, is actually still very family-oriented. And in that culture, to deny your own dreams and impulses and desires for the good of the family uh, is actually seen as a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. And it almost goes without saying that, that in American culture, it is the exact opposite. To throw off the dreams and wishes and desires and constraints of your family or the people around you in order to claim your own dreams and desires, far from being immoral or even rude, is seen as virtue. You're practically a hero. Of course you have to place yourself above everyone else. No one else will. And, and this mentality that we've been raised in, it seeps into everything. It's in the stories that we tell and the dreams that we architect for ourselves. It's in the songs that we sing and the movies that we watch. As I was writing this uh, teaching, a song came on the radio. And it's a really popular song, and I kind of find myself like singing along to it or whatever. And I realized what I was singing. And so I just started writing down the lyrics to share with you. Listen to the things that we, that we sing. This is called Me, Myself, and I by g Easy. It's just me, myself, and I. Solo ride until I die, because I got me for life. And I don't need a hand to hold. Even when the night is cold, I got that fire in my soul. I'd wrap it if And as far as I can see, I just need privacy, plus a whole lot of money. And I just need space to do me. And I get what I want, when I want, because this hunger is driving me. I just need to be alone. I just need to be at home. And I don't need anything to get me through the night, except that beat that's in my heart. Yeah, it's keeping me. Y'all wrap it. But, but the, these are the songs that we sing. And I would argue that this is not a passing fad. In fact, I think this is the American dream. You see, we don't talk about white picket fences much anymore. But this, this mentality is alive and well. The song that I just read to you, it was trending its way into the top 10 downloaded songs in America. Only to be beat by a song called Love Yourself. We live in a culture that dreams of self-sufficiency on every single level. The desire to be completely autonomous from God and others that was on display in the garden is alive and well here at home. And the statistics prove it. The survey of Americans found that 60% of us believe that you don't need any type of community in order to pursue God. Most of us actually believe that you can be a good Christian or a good adherent to any religion completely on your own. You don't need a church or a synagogue or any of it. American spirituality has become me and God and maybe the Bible. 
which actually might say something about community. That's all I need. And and in an ironic twist, we once again have a Trinitarian spirituality. It's called me, myself, I. that's, That's the new Trinity. I don't need anyone or anything else. It's just me and God. Oh, and by God, I mean the God that I've kind of dreamt up in my mind, that I can follow my own way by myself. You you see, in our American culture, we've we've lost the the beauty of community. And, And in fact, I think we're scared of it. We're too used to living for ourselves and having it our own way and watching what we want to watch on Netflix and projecting a false image of ourselves to the world, holding everyone at at arm's length. And and our lack of community is killing us. Despite all of our autonomy and our self-sufficiency and our self-actualizing and our material wealth, we continue to be some of the most miserable people on 40% of Americans admit to being chronically lonely. Those are the ones who will admit that they are. It it turns out that that we are an overconnected culture that feels completely disconnected. And then in comes anxiety and depression, which continue to rise year over year in America. We spend billions of dollars combating these epidemics, along with all sorts of other mental and social and emotional issues that thrive in our isolation. We all seem unhappy, and we don't know why. It turns out that our online communities are not satisfied that need. We, we live in a world where we are more technologically connected than ever before but where friendship itself has become digitized and hollowed out. And my self-esteem can be measured by likes and shares and and retweets. It can be quantified electronically. Where we curate an image of ourselves, which we project to the world for them to admire, all the while knowing that it's not the real us, and all the while scared that the world will find out the truth about who we really are. You are not as interesting as we portrayed. And so we hide. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we haven't been. Hide from God, we hide from another. Now we have social media instead of fig leaves. But we're still. And it's into this world that God says, I have to first be reconciled to me through repentance and baptism and placing your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus. Accept God's invitation to re-enter the family, to be adopted in once more, and then begin the journey of figuring out who you are. Instead of fighting against what God is doing and what he's already done for us, we want to be a community that is learning to inhabit the reality that God has already. That's life in the church. 
and, and we're going with the grain of reality, but against every individualistic impulse in our body. And over and against the, that voice that says, it says, hide, because no one wants to see the real you. No one's going to appreciate you or love you for who you really are. Hide. But over and against all of those voices, we choose to be a people who refuse to go into isolation and self-medicate with more music and more Netflix and more prescription but who choose instead to commit to discovering who we really are in Jesus and the way that humanity was intended to flourish from the beginning. And, and there's more facets to it than that. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to be missionaries. We want to be a church that, that seeks and invites in lost and hurting people. But first, we have to understand what it is we're inviting We aren't inviting people into a religion or membership in a nonprofit or into a social club or into a country club. We're inviting people into a family, into the very family. And, and this isn't something that we're going to be able to live out for an hour and a half on a Sunday. This is actually something that we intend to live out together all week long in living rooms and in dorm rooms and around dining room tables. And we'll talk more as we get further into the vision series about the specific forms and language and functions and names that we assign to all of that midweek life stuff that we're going to do. But the short version is that we just want to be a family and we want to be eating meals together throughout the week. We want to be studying the scriptures together and praying for one another and challenging one another and actually be known by one Another, living out the one another commands together. This is what it means to be the family. That, that we are committed to one another. That we serve one another. And so I want to end with an invitation. And I know that um, some of you are visiting from out of town. And that's totally okay. We love that you're here and gathered with us. But for those of you who live here, the invitation is really simple. Back next and the week after that, and the week after that. And together, uh, let's figure out what it looks like to be the family of God, to get to know one another, to share meals together, uh, to, to share our lives together throughout the week. If you want the best teaching in the world, we live in a world where you can go and download a sermon by Francis Chan or Tim Keller. If you want the best worship music, you can go and sit in a room by yourself. You can download a song. Here's chapter Ever. Ever's number one. But if you want something more than isolation in the American dream, we'd invite you to come. If you want to discover the fullness of who you are, Jesus, it happens in community. It happens in starting and, and so as you do that some of you will come back week after week what you're going to find is that this is a really imperfect 
that we're all learning and that we're all in process, but that we're committed together to truly figuring out what it means to be the family of God, to once again be a community that reflects the image and nature of the triune God into the world, a community that is, that is filled and equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to live out the one another's with each other, becoming more like Jesus himself as we place the needs of those around us above our own, and discovering together what it means to be fully known, fully loved, fully human. Jesus, we recognize, God, that every um, fiber in our being, cultural and emotional and worldly, um, screams to run away from to run away from to run away from the revealing of our true self, to hide in every way and form and function that we have. To hide behind social media, to hide behind smiles, and yes, I'm But we 